I hate to wait. What are you waiting for? Sometimes I, I feel like that's all I do is wait for something that'll never come. Wait for something that'll never come. There are just times in life when we feel lost. It happens. I just feel as if everything is upside down. Sometimes you have to lose yourself before you can find anything. This is a difference between truth and fiction. Fiction is to make sense. The big wheel keeps on turning On a simple line, day by day The earth spins on its axis One man struggle while another relaxes Welcome to the Urban Guru Cafe. Okay, welcome to program number 48. Ready's here. What are we doing this week? Are ready? Well, this week I spoke with Paul Hederman, and his website is um, Zen Bitch Slap. Oh, no, look, we don't have any swearing on the show. Please. <laughs> his website is called what? Zen Bitch Slap. What does that mean? I think it's really cool, yeah? Because a bitch slap is when someone gives you a really hard slap and it's a zen bitch slap, which means it's like a big wake-up slap. Oh, cool. I have to change the name of my website now. I have to call it King Hit Bitch. <laughs> so why do we want to talk to him? Well, what's really interesting about Paul is that he teaches this stuff in the AA program and he understands addiction. Well, let's listen. this stuff to people in the AA program but you say this is not just for the people with alcohol addictions because everyone is suffering from the primary disease what is this primary disease we all suffer from well I call it identification as self or it's actually more uh, the identification as self is really a verb I call it selfing yes mm -hmm. so, do you want to explain what a... you mean by that <laughs> that's a difficult thing to do well selfing is just this verb of selfing creates a sense of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. And that becomes the basic assumption everything is built on. Yeah? So I'll, I believe selfing or self-centeredness is a modality of thought and interpretation. Let's just say there's an assumption that I'm a long-lasting, independent, separate entity being verified by the body identification. And that becomes, let's say, the bottom line. So when things happen, they happen to me, yes? They're not seen just to be happening. There's always this little self-looping or self-importance of it's happening to me, and that becomes a huge interpretation. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's what I mean by selfing, or the identification as self. It's not like you were branded one time, and you have that brand of being a self. It's a mental verb going on creating an illusion of a noun called a self. Being unaware of that, I feel, is the trance that I know a lot of people I've met are in, or have been in.
You say we keep focus on what we are not instead of what we are. How do we do this? By the attention going to thoughts. Our attention is drawn into thoughts because the thoughts are about me. Yeah. So let's just say I have a thought. Let's say the thought is, let's just put three words up on a blackboard. Let's put money, sex, and relationships. Now, everyone has a meaning for those things, yeah? They mean something. If you're not having sex, it may mean more than it would if you are having sex. Or if you don't have any money, it would mean more than if you had money. But the act of selfing to me is the word my. So if you look at those words and then just put my money, my sex, and my relationships, it changes the weight, so to speak, of them, yeah? Mm -hmm. They get heavier. Now, my whole view about this is when something occurred with me, the effects I saw it manifest out here was I started to travel lighter with a lot of duration, yeah, and a stability in it. The first place I saw it was I started getting immunity to thought, and that immunity to thought was the thought was seen as a thought, not as my thought. Yes. Yep. And immediately as that view became applicable, let's say, the traveling lighter occurred. So from that experience or whatever, from that take, I looked back and I saw that someone calls me up and they're having a terrible time and they're really weighed down by their thoughts. And I can listen to them and I have an incredible amount of wisdom about their thoughts and how they should dance with them, let's say. But I could be sitting there having the exact same thoughts and they'd be having a totally different effect on me. So the thoughts are exactly the same, but what causes the difference is the my. Yeah? Mm -hmm. If there's an identification as those thoughts as being mine or about me, it immediately distorts it, and a bondage occurs. I would call it the bondage to selfing. Yeah? Yep. And so a lot of people I know, especially in recovery community, truly could use an immunity to thought some kind of defense or some kind of antidote to that constantly being drawn into the thought stream going on in their head and then the stories that unfold and then the need to be right about those stories and so on and so forth. It would be nice if that can be cut, not while the story's being written, but prior to it. So let's say, is there a book or a novel if there isn't an author? No. Exactly. That's the whole point. So the authorship, instead of going through 800 pages of a book and trying to make corrections here and there, there and there, the point of correction is prior to the book, yeah, mm -hmm. is at that point of authorship. If life is happening instead of happening to me, I hold it much differently. Yeah? Definitely. So that's sort of what I'm talking about in a way. In the dime stores and bus stations, people talk of situations. Read books, repeat quotations, draw conclusions on the wall. The wind howls like a hammer, the night goes rainy. My love, she's like some raven at my window with a broken wing. And so dropping this authorship, as you say, how is it that we do that? <laughs> There's no dropping it. You just see that there isn't one. There's no drop in the authorship. If there was a dropping of the authorship, you'd be the author of that, yeah? Yes. So there isn't a dropping of the authorship. There's a realization there isn't any author. It's like, for me, the best way to get out of something is realize you've never been in it, yeah? 
as soon as you attempt to be out of something, you're reinforcing the idea that you are in it. Yeah. Yes. See, a lot of people I notice they're thinking they're getting out of self, so to speak. But if you took that view and raised it, you would see that's truly being in self. A lot of the activities that we call getting out of self here are actually the activity or the uh, like the the illusory verb of being in self. Yeah. Yep. So the best way out is realize you were never in. That's the only one that holds water for me. Yep. Yep. So you're sort of saying a bit like when people are meditating and they're saying that they're escaping from self. That's not really escaping from self at all. No, of course not. But see, there's a nobility in it in certain circles, yeah? <laughs> there's a certain sense of value that is accrued by doing that. For who and for what? Yeah. If you're inclined to meditate, go ahead and meditate. You know, that's what you're going to be doing. But there is no, obviously, there's no one doing it. Once there's that claiming or ownership or privatization, it neuters what you hope would be the effect of that practice to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Still a bondage to self, in, yes? Yes. Because there's still a sense that you did it, and so if you think you've attained something, you will also think that you can lose it. Yeah? It all becomes based on you, and that to me is truly self-centeredness. If my connection or my contact with the power greater than self is up to me, then I still must be the power greater than that. Yeah. Yeah, which means that you're still there. Exactly. See, in my pursuit of God, who's playing God? Yeah. 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 After seven days, he was quite tired. God said, let there be a day just for picnics in the garden. Not quite clear, not what you just spoke. Is that a parable or a very subtle joke? You say that it's your own guts that validates the truth of this. Can you say something a bit more about that? Well, to me, it's it's like an unspoken yes, yeah? When I was introduced to this premise or whatever, there was just an unspoken yes, that's all. It's like a knowing prior to getting to know something, or an understanding prior to understanding, yes? It was just already in place. It just needed the right ignition. And so the invitation to me was the ignition. It's like St. Francis supposedly said a really beautiful statement, which was, what's looking is what you're looking for. Yeah? Mm. So what's looking is what you and me are looking for. And so when people get presented with that, they immediately start going, where, 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 where's the what's looking? But it's the what's looking that's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Saying, the, where's the what's looking? What's looking, whatever that is, Whatever time, whatever situation, whatever circumstances, what's looking is what you are looking for. In an eight-word sentence, he just did more than thousands of pages of scriptures, yeah? Mm -hmm. He changed the direction of the mind. He just, and then as soon as the mind gets that or gets a hit by that, that's why I call it like a Zen bitch slap, yeah? You get whacked. That mind can entertain that possibility, yeah? Yeah. Yes, like how many possibilities are we entertaining now? We're constantly entertaining the possibility that we could be separate, which is totally impossible. 
and yet we can pull it off for, let's say, 80 years of a life. Yes, seemingly. <laughs> that uh, quality of mind is available. It just hasn't heard the possibilities it could entertain. Yeah. other statements that you make and you say that there is freedom between the thoughts and mine m-i-n-e can you explain that well let's say a thought is happening yes yep thoughts arising then the thought is combined with my yeah yep that thought and my that's the activity of forgetting your conscious contact and starting to react to what's not happening instead of to respond to what's happening. So there's the head. The head is most of the time reacting to what's not happening. Yeah. So in that space of what's not happening, anything can happen there. So let's say in, in what people call a Monday night, I can seemingly be in a Monday night, but what's actually happening is Friday night. Because yes. I'm not reacting or responding to what's happening, which is Monday night. I'm reacting to what's not happening, which is Friday night. I understand. Yeah, and the Friday night, the meaning I give right now, the mind gives right now to Friday night, is what arises, yeah? And it causes the mind to forget the conscious contact. See, what's beautiful about what's happening now, it has one quality, what's not happening doesn't have, which is it's happening, yes? Yep. And when something's happening, when something's arising and appearing, that's that. There's not millions of other things that are appearing at that very moment that you can think of, but it's that. So it's such a beautiful anchor. It's like that perfect invitation. And we all fulfill the requirement. If you and I are talking and aware of talking, then we're in conscious contact. Yes. But if that conscious contact is put into or emphasizing the mental stream, it causes the sense of being unconscious. Yeah? Mm -hmm. When you talk about conscious contact, it's not a term that I've heard used before in non-duality. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Conscious contact is from recovery. Oh, okay. From one of our texts. So I come out of recovery. And so whatever happens, whatever goes on inside, I don't know. But it seeks... In me, it's sort a way of communicating this. And so, obviously, for me, the perfect way to communicate was through recovery, because I had been participating in it for many, many years, yes? Mm -hmm. So, in recovery, when whatever was happening, the whole book changed meaning to me. Yes? Yep. And what I wasn't seeing before, I saw very clearly that you could present the whole point of that there is no self through the recovery steps. Really? Yes, because one of the simple, very, very important statements I found in the book was that it says being convinced, which means to believe with certainty, that self, you know, small s, self manifested in various ways is what has defeated us. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Beautiful statement. Being convinced that self manifests in various ways is what has defeated us. So he's actually made a separation from self and what you are. Yeah? Yep. 
what we are, us, and then there's the self, the activity of selfing. And so most people in recovery don't see it that way. So if you follow this a little bit longer in the book, it says, okay, now we're going to look at its, meaning self's, manifestations in our life, some of its common manifestations. So it says, being convinced self manifests in various ways is what has defeated us. We will now look at some of its common manifestations. And then the next paragraph, the first word is resentment. And so one of the biggest things in recovery is to do an inventory. Now, most people I've run into, and even the way I was taught, we're taught that the resentments are ours, the fears are ours, and the harms I did to others were ours. But if you read the text, it's not saying that. It's saying the resentments that I've been entertaining and the anxiety I've been living in are expressions of self in my life. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So... If you're identified as self, you cannot entertain being free of it. All you end up doing is trying to get relief for it. You don't entertain, you can have relief from it. This, to me, when this whatever energy started to occur to me, made incredible, it really whacked me pretty well, because I saw that I am not that, yes? Mm -hmm. And not that that I've been going seeking spiritual solutions for it. You know, it's, I was trying to, like, graft spirituality onto a prior identification as body and brain. Yeah. And it was, it was just doing what it was going to do, which was it wasn't taking hold. <laughs> yeah. it would, if I went on a month retreat, I'd leave, and then a day later it would be the same old, same old. So my solution would be, let's go do a three-month mm -hmm. retreat. The longer I go, the more I'll get a better result. And it's the same old, same old. And so when I saw it this way, I saw, geez, I can entertain that I'm not that. And that's the freedom from it. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Not constantly being enslaved, getting relief for it, because, I mean, you will get tons of relief for it. It's a glutton for relief. It's a glutton for spiritual practice. It can do as much spiritual practice as you throw at it. And it can morph and it can adapt to it very easily. Yeah? But the idea of the relief from it is to see that all the information that was starting to become obvious to me, it all distilled into one message, one point, and that is, I'm not that. That's all the knowledge I ever needed, was that. That one simple statement, I'm not that. Whatever that is that's appearing, I am not. Yeah. So the whole point of seeking was to reaffirm the seeker. <laughs> yeah. As soon as the idea of being a seeker dropped, what happens to the seeking? In my case, it sort of came to a crashing halt. All around me are familiar faces, worn out places, worn out faces, bright and early for the daily
about this non-duality stuff with the steps as well? No. See, what happened with me is I used to lead workshops in AA, and I used to do a, a primary one called the fourth step, which is the inventory process. So then after sort of whatever things morphed into what they were morphing into, people would come with paper and pen, and yet they never did any fourth step. <laughs> but the game was still the same, so people started to bitch about that. So then after years, we just changed the name into some other name. And now the people that know of me realize it has nothing to do with the nuts and bolts. Yeah? Oh, okay. People in recovery, it's good to go through describing the problem, the quote-unquote problem, yes? Like, when I went to AA meetings, one of the things many of us suffer from is a sense of being terminally unique, yes? So I was sitting in there in that assumption, and I would be listening to people share their thoughts and their feelings and their reactions. And after a while, it was becoming obvious to me that either a lot of people had my thoughts, feelings, and reactions, or they weren't my thoughts, feelings, and reactions, yeah? What I was calling or claiming to be mine were basically alcoholic thoughts, what you would call alcoholic feelings and alcoholic reactions to situations in life. This was a major shift when it occurred for me. Yeah. So I still speak a lot through a lot of uh, the AA program because I feel that words will lead to uh, like pictures in one's head. And by describing what you're not, which you can describe very well, there will be a sense or a shift to feel life from what you are, unadorned with all the activity of selfing. I'm quite happy with the description of selfing and stuff like that in recovery, and I use that as almost a starting point to share about it, yes? Mm -hmm. Share about the invitation I'm offering. I'm familiar with that. It's just I'm comfortable with that because it's got a really juicy flavor for me, because that activity of living as a drug addict and alcoholic, you know, in the action figure, it left a big imprint. Listening to the Urban Guru Cafe. Our guest this week is Paul Hederman. I really liked talking to Paul about that idea of how it's when we make something ours and we own it that the angst comes into it. Clarity of, about the problem is an expression of the solution in my view. Yes? Yep. You can see clearly what you're not. That's a real, it intimates exactly what you are. Yeah? Which is, I'm not that. <laughs> I, I love it. Because you can't really put your finger on what you are, but you can intimate it. You can get a sense of it. You can get a flavor of it by... Uh, the clarity about what's appearing, being clear that it's what you're not. It's so it's got a very nice flavor to me. So it's along the lines of Nisagadada's neti neti, not this, not this. Well, it, in a way, 
there was no practice or anything. It's just things arise, like most people, when thought arises in their head, or at least this is how I saw it in the head that I've watched. A thought would arise, and let's say you have thousands of thoughts during a day coming through your head. But underlying that is like a, a thought or like a relationship with thought that's going unseen, which is they're about me or they're my thoughts, yes? Yes. So hundreds and hundreds of thoughts are coming up every day, but there's really like two relationships the conditioned mind has with them. Either they're about me or I'm the thinker of them. Mm -hmm. So if you can see what's arising, and to me the neti neti isn't so much on what's appearing, but in the relationship with what's appearing. Yeah? Mm -hmm. The relationship as if it's appearing to me. That's where the neti neti is. And it wasn't a practice. It's just a way of trying to say something about something that can't be said anything about. Yeah? You have been listening to the Urban Guru Cafe. That's it for this week. Um, what's happening next week, Loretta? Well, in next week's interview, Paul Hedman tells us a really good story, an excellent analogy for this stuff, so stay tuned. Yeah. Don't forget to pay fees. <laughs> Donations are welcome. What are we having for lunch? <laughs> we got any butter for the bread? <laughs> Sometimes I, I feel like that's all I do is wait for something that'll never come. Oh, it'll come. Here we go again. One more time. The Urban Guru Cafe is produced in Australia.